Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Heels in the Courtroom. I'm Megan, and I'm joined today by Erica, Liz, Amy, and Elizabeth. We are missing Mary today and will be for a while because just on the heels of Erica returning from maternity leave, Mary has gone on to maternity leave. Her and her husband welcomed a beautiful baby girl in June, and everyone is doing well, and we are so excited for them. Today we're going to be talking about unspoken rules of courtroom etiquette. We thought this would be an appropriate and timely topic since many of us are getting back into the courtroom or are about to get back into the courtroom for the first time since COVID-19 shut everything down, or at least forced us into a virtual format. As many of you know, I was new to the podcast starting at the beginning of season three. So when we first started brainstorming topics for the season, this was one that I was particularly interested in because it was something that I, as someone who's new to trial practice, was eager to hear about or would seek out. And now I'm actually in a bit of a better position to discuss this topic with everyone because as of May, I now have my first full jury trial under my belt in this post-quarantine world. And I think it's important to discuss this not only for people who haven't been in a courtroom ever and are ready to have that experience for the first time, but also to serve as a refresh or a reminder for those of us who may be very experienced in courtrooms but have recently been out of practice from working virtually for so long. So what got me thinking about this discussion is the fact that I'm pretty type A, and I, like everyone else at this table, and I presume most professionals, like to be prepared. And we've said it time and time again, we want to be the most prepared person in the room. And we can know our case backwards and forwards, and we often do by the time of trial. We can know every line of deposition testimony and every document, but for me, another aspect of being prepared is knowing what to expect logistically and behaviorally when entering the courtroom. So I came up with a few subtopics that we can talk about today and more as they come up as I'm sure they will. But the first one I wanted to talk about was appearance. And so I actually have a story for why this came to my mind. When I was a brand new baby attorney at my old firm, they give a lot of pro bono cases to first year associates to get them courtroom experience for the first time. And so I was handling this pro bono case I don't think I was really aware at the time that it was in associate court, which is a smaller form of court for small claims as opposed to regular circuit court. And I was in a rural Missouri county, and I was all nervous. I'd never been to court before. I dressed to the nines. It was just a status hearing, really, and I didn't fully understand what that meant at the time. But there wasn't that much to do or say. There was no motions to argue. We were just checking in with the judge. And I was all nervous to be in court and I dressed to the nines. I was in my best suit, my heels. I was feeling good, was all ready to go. And I get to this associate court in a rural Missouri County and I stuck out like a sore thumb. I was the most overdressed person in the room. Everyone else was very casual with the judge in their dress. And I think it just made me stand out as very new and unfamiliar with that courtroom. But thinking back on it, I don't think that I would have done anything different because the last thing I would have wanted to do was be underdressed and then get reprimanded like in my cousin Vinny. (laughs) So (laughs) 
I guess my question for the group is, does your level of formality change with the type of hearing you have, whether it's a status hearing or a trial? Is it okay to be more casual in certain courts? Okay, I want to point out something that I think everyone will agree with, or at least has been my experience. When you start out as an attorney, unless you are independently wealthy, you are shopping at the same three stores as every other young female associate in town. So thank you, J. Crew, Banana, and Ann Taylor. <laughs> I have every cut of your suit for the last, I don't know, decade. And, you know, that's your go-to for, like, dressing for a court. And the options are pretty narrow. I mean, I think I bought every suit in three pieces, pants, skirt, and suit that were all the same material. And I was like, oh, look, I have two options. But I didn't get those suits tailored for the most part. I've always been comfortable in a blazer, so I usually opt for a blazer. But as I've gotten older, I've learned more places to shop. I've learned of other options. I've watched what Amy's wearing. <laughs> I feel like I've gotten more flexible with what I wear to court. But just because of who I am as a person, just like you said, like I would feel uncomfortable being underdressed. But I don't want to wear nylons if I don't have to. It's funny that we're talking about this right now because just over the weekend, I gave a presentation. It was multiple attorneys, but I was the only girl on stage. And I was the only person wearing a suit jacket. <laughs> All of my male colleagues wore polos. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I think just in my mind, I overdressed. But part of the reason that I overdressed and have done so in the past is because I realized as a, first of all, as a woman, and second of all, as someone newer to the practice, people are going to take me less seriously just because of my age and my gender. And so I almost look at a suit jacket as a bit of a shield or a uniform showing that I belong there. I can't be established just based on my age or, or reputation because I haven't quite gotten there yet. So I know that people judge you based on the first time they see you. And so I want people to look at me the first time they see me and think she's a lawyer. I know she's a lawyer because of the way she looks. I don't want to be confused as a paralegal or, God forbid, a law student, which happens less and less every year. But uh, especially in my, my first couple of years of practice, it happened where people would think that I was an intern. And that is sort of a demoralizing position to walk in and be like, no, I'm, I'm the lawyer here. Please take me seriously. I'm an adult. So I recommend to younger attorneys, especially women, overdress for the part because you want to have that confidence and you don't want anything, any you know, side comments to really derail you from what your goal is, wherever you are, whether it's in the courtroom or taking a deposition or meeting a client. I think that's uh, good advice. And I am someone who loves clothes. I like to shop. But I also really hate that we have to have this conversation because <laughs> The amount of time and energy I have to expend about what I'm going to wear to a certain thing before a trial, I probably need to, you know, pick out my outfit so I'm not spending, like, hours that I don't have trying to figure out what to wear. And the men don't have to do any of these things. They wake up, they have 25 suits in their closet, and they pick a tie, and they move on with their lives. So I'd just like to <laughs> express how irritating I find that we even have to talk about what to wear and what is appropriate, because I really don't think that it should matter as long as you look professional and put together. 
unfortunately, it's a uh, part of our reality. So I always like to lean on the side of being professional. If I'm in court, I'll have a jacket on. Uh, Zoom court makes that a lot easier because I can be wearing jeans and a jacket. I think that's great. But certainly in the courtroom, I think that, at least for me, a jacket is important. I don't think that you have to wear a full suit or anything like that, especially if it's not a jury trial. I think for a trial, you should probably be a little mo- bit more dressed up, but that's just kind of how I feel about that. Well, anybody that knows me knows <laughs> I love this topic. Elizabeth, like you, I love to shop. I look at dressing for court, everybody will be very surprised to hear this, as an opportunity to shine. <laughs> to shine! I think I've evolved over the years because I do like to shop, and I'm in a position now where I can spend time and money on it, and I really, really enjoy it. But it is I love the idea that we don't have to have one suit or one tie. I love that we can express ourselves and look different, not only from our male colleagues, but also the opportunity to look different from anybody else in the courtroom. And you can do that looking professional. You can do that looking very put together. And I think it's an opportunity to really walk in the door and be and look impressive. And that's the way I've tried to embrace it. I have very much gone from the Ann Taylor, J. Crew, <laughs> banana over the years for certain. And I would highly encourage tailoring. Tailoring yes. is the key to everything. I'm a shorter person and I need a tuck here and a hem here. And I just can't tell you how important that is. There is a difference between dressing for a regular court appearance and dressing for trial. For a regular court appearance, I don't think you can be overdressed. I know, Megan, you sounded like you kind of walked in and felt that way, but I would rather be overdressed than underdressed any day, any day, any situation. For hearings, you know, I'm dressing for me. As long as it's professional, I'm dressing for me. For trial, you're dressing for the jury. And particularly plaintiff's attorneys, we have to make sure that we don't look contrived. You know, I've always been told you shouldn't look like you're worth 10 million bucks or whatever it is. And these are all things, you know, who knows? You shouldn't drive your Bentley and park it next to the jury or whatever luxury vehicle you drive. (laughs) But I have gone from a very suit because that's what was available to dressing much more feminine, embracing dresses, and also typically a cardigan or a blazer, largely because I'm cold and a lot of dresses are sleeveless. And so you got to worry about whether having a sleeveless dress is acceptable and appropriate. But long story short, I love the idea that we can be unique and individual and different by the clothes that we get to wear. Do you dress differently based on whether you think the judge or a jury in a certain area will expect pantsuits as opposed to dresses and skirts? I have only worn a pantsuit. (laughs) Erica's laughing. One time in my career in front of a jury, and that was a case that Eric and I tried together a couple summers ago, maybe three by now, and I did not have a speaking part that day. I think it was our last day, and Erica was closing, and so I wore a pantsuit, and I think I even announced it when I got there. Hey, y'all. It's the first time I've ever worn a pantsuit. It was a great suit. It was. Navy suit with maybe a pink top underneath. Navy linen. Yes. Yeah. Summertime. I remember that day well. (laughs) So I think our number one takeaway rule here is you can never be overdressed. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Not and for a hearing. For a trial. And and I will say, Amy, to your point about, you know, we can differentiate ourselves from the boys. I will give credit because there are some male attorneys who wear some loud suits. Yeah. yeah. You know I feel saying. like that's recently. That's maybe a new thing. I think they all got the same card from a clothier. And they <laughs> the all spoke. Haberdasher. Yeah. Yeah. They use the same haberdasher. <laughs> but I think the same, if there's any men listening, I think the same advice that Amy gave to female attorneys applies to men of how you want to dress for a hearing, you know, you can dress for yourself. And I think in certain venues, judges will be much more lenient to what you want to wear. I think in the city of St. Louis, we get away with quite a lot in the county even. I don't know if that would work so much in some of the more rural counties, but for trial, definitely tone it down. You don't want to be a distraction and you don't want the focus to be on you from the jury away from your case. And it's funny talking about this because I... Whenever we talk about dressing down for trial and not looking like a million bucks, I think of this one attorney that he was one of like three defense attorneys at a trial that Amy, you and I were at a couple of years ago. And he wore the same suit every day. And I know oh, it no. was the same suit because it had the same hole in the pocket and I could <laughs> see the hole every time. And I was thinking, come on, man, you're a partner at this firm. I know they're paying you. I think that was on purpose. I think it was on purpose too. I think it was on purpose. Yeah. So that's the advice for anyone who hasn't been to court yet or, or maybe forgot how to dress for court. <laughs> Guys, I'm probably the only one who's going to say this, but I'm going to have trouble getting back into my high heels after like not wearing them for a year and like navigating, like walking up this steep hill to one of our courthouses. I mean, that's a challenge. You might see me in my tennis shoes with my tights on in the winter and well, thrown you, on my heels. You are the tallest one of us. That's so. true. But I've never shied away from a <laughs> good true. pair of heels. <laughs> As you shouldn't. No. So the next topic of etiquette that I wanted to talk about was communicating with <clears throat> opposing counsel. This is something that before this year when I had my trial experience, I wasn't really sure what to expect in the way of communicating with opposing counsel. Previously, we had only communicated via email or maybe on the phone. But do you find yourself communicating with opposing counsel differently when you're in the actual trial and participating in arguments versus communicating with them maybe before or after? Do you play nice with them? You know, what is kind of the etiquette when talking to opposing counsel? I would say the biggest difference when I'm in court is I always use last names. Mr. Ms. Insert last name. I'm not going to do that in an email or on a phone call. But I think that there's a respect involved in using last names, especially if you're on the record. It just feels like we should be honoring the circumstances and honoring the surroundings that way. And I have been in hearings over the years where you kind of, especially with an opposing counsel that you've known for a long time, and a first name slips out and the judge will correct you. There are some judges that just do not allow first names being used in his or her court, which is perfectly fine. And that might be one of the reasons why I just try to default to the last name because you're never really sure exactly, or you may not be sure exactly what your court or what your judge wants. But I would say, on the whole, I try to be the same person in an email and a phone call as I am in court. I think of it as that email might be an exhibit to a motion one day, and would I want my email 
whether it's informal or hostile or whatever, would I want a judge to see that? Would I want a jury to see that or any kind of fact finder to see that? And the answer is absolutely not. So every email that I write to opposing counsel or even client or anyone that I assume it's going to be read by someone with authority to make a decision over something going on in that case and act accordingly. Now, sometimes on a phone call that's not being recorded, I tend to be more informal on a phone call, I would say, than an email because I know that's not going to show up as an exhibit because I do like to be a little informal. That's kind of who I am. I've always believed you get more bees with honey than vinegar, and that's my personality type. So, Amy, you know, being worried about emails and stuff ending up as exhibits, I recently learned that one of my cases that I handled several years ago the defense counsel is being sued for legal malpractice in that case. And so now all my emails with opposing counsel and everything else is their evidence and case file. Yes. Of course, there's no scrutiny on us, but I am very self-conscious that another two firms worth of attorneys are going through this case file and looking at all of my communications with that attorney, even though I'm not the one on the hot seat. It's kind of like a odd feeling. And I was thinking back to that case like, oh, what did I miss? Like, did I need extensions? Did I need this? Did I need that? Whatever. Anyway, so that made me very self-conscious recently. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine, but it is a good recognition to have. Yeah. Even though we're not under scrutiny or not going to be sued or or whatever. Or not disparage someone in those communications, too. Right. I just always think that it's a good practice to recognize that whatever you're writing could be viewed by someone else. And would that be... Maybe not incurring liability, but would it be embarrassing in any way? Right, right. Well, and Megan, kind of to answer your question, too, about the difference in communications between opposing counsel before and after arguments, depending on the tone of the argument that you're walking into, you may choose to be very formal with that person prior to the argument because of how contentious it might be. I never want to start sparring with someone prior to the argument, especially if it is going to be a contentious hearing. The more formal the argument, the more I always stick to those rules about only addressing the judge. Unless there's like a casual conversation with scheduling or something like that, I absolutely never turn to my opposing counsel or direct a question towards them. In fact, it probably helps me stay focused and more confident to, like, strictly look at the judge. Like, I don't even turn my head, especially if they're trying to bait you or say something to get you to react. The more you can stay there and be calm and stay focused on the judge, I think, the better. And that kind of leads into the other question I was going to ask, which is, what is the etiquette when you disagree with opposing counsel? And it sounds like your argument would be, address the judge. Yeah, And not opposing counsel. Yeah, I don't think you can go wrong with that. And I think everyone would agree that judges hate it when the two counsels start arguing with each other. It's so disruptive and terrible for them, I think. Could I jump in with a question? Because something that I have had to work on since I started practicing is facial expressions. I have a very expressive face. I know I do. I work really hard to control them. But what I've noticed with Zoom hearings now is I can see myself now. It's real time. And every now and then, an opposing counsel will say something, and I furrow my brow as if to say, no, mm mm-mm. But 
I don't want to do that. I don't want to give them an indication. And I've always been told, you know, no expression, don't show anything, no reaction. But I wonder if sometimes there is certain arguments that a defense counsel might make that warrant some sort of reaction just to indicate to the judge that this is BS, what he's saying right now. And I'll let him finish. I'll let him get his argument out. But just heads up, I got something to say after this. So what is the group's take on facial reaction? Is there ever a time that it is appropriate or is it no, you should be a statue the entire time? I suffer from the same problem. I've given up on trying to control it. It's just a part of me. I can't not do it. But I also happen to work with some pretty expressive people, so it's not really an issue. I don't really see any problem with it. I'm not opening my mouth and, like, interrupting anyone. So if my face is telling everyone how I feel about that, then I think that that's fine. I am definitely showing my emotions on my face. And I will definitely signal to the judge with eyebrows or open mouth, no words, or side eyes or stomping the foot, whatever it takes, that I object to what this person is saying. Because I'd want the judge to know I got something to say about this. And it also, even though you're not saying any words, the judge, I think, is now listening to whatever's being said with a little skepticism. Like, oh, wait a minute, maybe they're not saying something that is 100% backed up by the evidence. So I do it sparingly. If it's just a straight up, they're arguing their case, I'm arguing my case, I mean, it's fine. But if there really is some part of the argument, quote unquote, that is just not accurate at all, then yeah, I think that that person deserves to be called out in the nonverbal manner that we're describing. Well, and I think if you stay focused on the judge, like we were talking about earlier, you will often catch like a side eye from the judge and get an impression of what they think about the argument. Sometimes when a judge has heard something that they think is kind of outlandish, if you're focused on the judge, they're going to look at you and be like, I don't know about that. I assume you disagree with that. And that's all communicated just by a quick glance. And you'd miss that if you are staring at your opposing counsel while, you know, they're blowing smoke on something that you disagree with, or if, you know, you're ready to launch at them instead of paying attention to how the judge's facial expressions are reacting. So, you know, maybe a little mutuality there. You see the judge be like, man, they're full of it. And you can be like, I agree. Yeah. Just don't <laughs> wink. <laughs> oh. I'm sitting here like feeling like I want to wink, but don't wink at I the judge. I got something in my eyes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Amy, you could probably get away with it. I'm a winker. I'm a winker. And I don't think, <laughs> is that the right word? Sure. I, I think I even, I wink occasionally without even really realizing it. But God, that's a good point. I should catch myself on that. <laughs> Winking at the judge? Winking at the judge. Well, if they're like. your friend, I'm well, sure you can Well, especially what you're describing is like they're looking at you because they know that you got something to say. And sometimes I'll do a little smirk and a wink like I'll be there in a second. Yeah. <laughs> Let's both tolerate yeah. the end of this argument and then I'll be right there. Yeah. <laughs> so this leads into the next topic that I thought about, which was communicating with the court, with the judge. When I was doing some internet research in preparation for talking about this today, I ran across a couple sites that said proper courtroom etiquette is to never say judge so-and-so. You should always say your honor. And that was kind of new to me, so I don't know what the group's thoughts are on that. 
think it depends on your familiarity with the judge in the court. I've never felt that it was inappropriate to say like, good morning, judge, or, you know, whatever, when you get before them. I've never had a judge react to it. I agree that your honor is more formal, but I think that's going to vary jurisdiction by jurisdiction. And I might feel more the formality if I'm in federal court versus seeing a state court judge that I'm in front of all the time. I tend to say your honor during an argument, during the actual hearing, especially if there's a court reporter, good morning, your honor, you know, Part of your argument might be referencing a previous court order, and I will say his honor's previous or her honor's previous order instead of your order or the judge's order. I would do that. But if I'm walking into the courtroom to say, and the judge is already on the bench, but proceedings haven't started yet, I'll say, good morning, judge. Or I will say, good morning, judge, last name, or just good morning, judge. What I love I'll tell a secret. What I love about judges is if for some reason you can't remember that judge's first name, it don't matter. They're just judge. Their first name is judge. You can't ever go wrong. I'm on a board with a retired judge right now, and the number of times she's had to correct me and say, please call me by my first name. And I'm like, I'm just not comfortable with that yet, Your Honor. I'm real sorry. She's like, please, everyone else on this call. And I go, "Mm, I don't know. I think I'll stick with judge. But... (laughs) But I, I agree with both Erica and Amy here. It, it depends on the situation. When you're, I think certainly in front of the jury, if you're in trial, Your Honor, just sticking with the most formal. Um, certainly if you're giving any type of appellate argument, you want to be the most formal because all of that is on the record. But if it's a situation where you are before the actual hearing has started or maybe you're passing them in the hallway or you're seeing them at a networking event, judge is fine. In fact, I think it would be a little weird if you were at a networking event and people have drinks in their hands and you say, you know, good evening, Your Honor. That's that's a little weird. That's a little much. Just just say judge. I think there's a, a couple other more obvious ones that go to speaking to the court. I feel never interrupt a judge when they're speaking is a very good rule of etiquette. But you like cringe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, but it's actually hard sometimes. It's actually hard sometimes. The other one that I was thinking about was it feels almost wrong to me, but I've seen people address judges sitting down, I almost feel like you should always stand when talking to a judge. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I agree. And if your opposing counsel is not, you can really shame them by standing up and showing your own respect and formality. That happened to me recently at, I think, my first in-person hearing of the pandemic, where I guess my my opposing counsel was a little out of practice because he started addressing the judge from his seat. And then when the judge addressed me, I stood up. And then out of, I think, reaction, he stood up, even though he wasn't talking anymore. (laughs) And I was like, oh, see, gotcha. But I always err on the side of standing up unless I've been specifically told you can sit down for this. It's always better to err on the side of caution. Plus, I think if you're giving an argument, especially, you want to be standing up because it just gives you a little more confidence. At least I feel more confident standing up arguing than I do sitting down. Something else that's always stuck with me in your communications with judges, this came from a conference or like a seminar for first-year attorneys that I went to when I was a first-year attorney. And one of the judges said her pet peeve was when an attorney started an argument with all due respect because she said the word but always comes after that and all you're doing is 
pissing her off before you even say what you're going to say because you're headlining that whatever you're about to say probably is not with all due respect. It's like saying no offense. Exactly. Exactly. So that's something to keep in mind. The next thing I wanted to talk about is a little less on the side of behavior and more on the side of logistics when you're going to a courtroom for the first time. How early do you get to court? What do you bring to court when you're at counsel table, maybe for a child? Do you have everything spread out on your table? Is minimalism key? Any thoughts about just kind of logistically what it's etiquette being in the courtroom? We would be remiss if we didn't say with certainty and confidence that the first person you need to address and speak to and be kind to is the clerk. The hardworking person sitting next to the bench, which we all know is probably the reason why anything gets done (laughs) in that courtroom. I try to ingratiate myself to that person, whether I've been in that courtroom 2,500 times or never. If that clerk is sitting there and court hasn't started yet, I almost always try to find a way to go up to say good morning, maybe to find out where I am on the docket or just anything. And it's not just sucking up. I mean, it's very much about showing respect to the institution. That includes not only the person on the bench, but everybody that makes our justice system work. And I do that for court reporters, for clerks, for bailiffs. I just always want to be thought of as someone who respects the institution. I would just encourage everyone to keep that in mind. And if you have an opportunity to just say good morning, just say good morning. I've learned from really great attorneys that that is the best way to act in court, especially when you're new. And particularly when you're new, that court clerk is your best friend. He or she is going to be giving you so much advice. At that point, they've probably been there so long, they're probably better attorneys than half the attorneys in the room. (laughs) Correct. But the other thing I want to add is I'm very much a talker when I'm in situations like that. I'll talk to anybody who will talk to me. But what I've found, though, is that the court clerks and the bailiffs and the court staff, they all talk to each other. And they talk to the judges. And so if you are disrespectful to a court clerk or you are difficult to work with, a pain, people sigh when you walk into the room, maybe you're great in front of the judge, but it's going to get back to the judge at some point that you were rude to so-and-so. And I'm telling you, the courthouse is a microcosm unto itself. And so you, you really have to just watch how you are treating everyone within the courthouse because it will get back to someone who might be able to uh, possibly punish you for it. And I can say I am not a perfectly punctual person, but I never get to correlate. And, you know, a lot of attorneys who are familiar with a court's docket or know that they're like, I don't know, 50th on the docket, you know, they're not going to get there right when it starts. But that makes me like way too nervous. I don't know if I'll ever get over that. I'm like worried there's going to be some announcement necessary on my case. And it would be terrible if I wasn't there or if I got put on second call. Now, we all have had situations where we have two hearings at the same time in the same courthouse. And in that case, I will go earlier and talk to the clerks if I can or the bailiff and report that I'm in so-and-so's division. And if the judge could put our case on second call, I should be back up to this courtroom by whatever time. So you can kind of work your logistics when you're there. And it's just good to 
you know, pre-pandemic times to get to the courthouse, see people, see what's going on. Maybe there's a case being tried and you can kind of mosey around and see what's happening over there. I mean, it's a good way to stay connected and network with people, too. It's also a good way if you get there early enough and your case is later in the docket, you might be able to catch what kind of mood the judge is in. Oh, yeah. And maybe if you're realizing they're not in the best mood, that's a cue to you to uh, keep your argument short. Just really hit the highlights and move on. What are you guys' thoughts on electronics? Do you bring your laptop, an iPad? Do you use it when you're in the courtroom? Is that improper? I think, like, only at trial would I ever need, like, an electronic other than my cell phone. I don't really see the need for it at any other kind of hearing or anything like that. I would probably err on the side of bringing like paper copies of something if I need them or providing them to the court beforehand. I don't know what I would do with a laptop at that point. I think using them during trial can be necessary, especially if you're second or third chair. I think a laptop can be useful then. I would be careful about having your phone on or whatever and making sure the ringer's off, which is, you know, pretty great school advice. But uh, having your phone go off in the middle of an argument is probably not great for you, but you know it happens. I walked into a courtroom not too long ago, and I only had my cell phone on me, but it was Southern rural Missouri, once again, and I was questioned at the door whether I was an attorney and not believed when I said yes, had to show my bar card. Then when I was walking through, he's like, okay, well, your cell phone's okay since you're an attorney, but, you know, just really make sure that it's off. And I was just really off put by that whole situation. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, probably what that meant is that guy has seen a lot of people who don't turn their cell phone off and has been instructed by the chief judge to tell people to to turn their cell phones off. So you just probably had to deal with other people's baggage on that. I still get asked, of course, these days I love it when people ask me if I'm an attorney because it implies that I'm just what I'm, I, Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe I'm implying I'm too young to be an attorney. You think that's, that's still definitely worth? it? That's definitely, definitely. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But particularly in these rural counties, I um, I don't ever. I just always pull out my bar card and am ready to go. I think it for some of the rural counties, it might be very much just standard operating procedure. Does anyone have an entertaining story or an example of some particularly egregious? time when they experienced a lack of etiquette or when a judge made it very clear that they were not happy with uh, an attorney's particular behavior. I saw a pro se plaintiff get held in contempt once because he cursed out the judge. So that was exciting. I mean, it's kind of sad because obviously that person was struggling with some other things. But um, it was a pretty exciting morning on just a regular motion docket, (laughs) frankly. Uh, He got hauled out by the bailiff. But he was an attorney, so I don't know if that really counts. I had a judge at the beginning of Zoom court say that it was fine whatever the attorneys were wearing on the Zoom, even though one was in a T-shirt, because on their juvenile docket the day before, someone didn't even have a shirt on. So, I mean, apparently the standard went way down for a couple months at the beginning. Yeah, I wonder that if the pandemic has forever changed what's considered egregious or not. Because I think we've seen a lot of crazy things happen on Zoom. I can't say that this is necessarily egregious, but it was a good lesson for me to get to witness early on. I was down in a rural county. Amy and I were co-counsel on a case. We were 
spearheading it, but there was a council in that particular county that was helping us out with it. I had gone down there to argue the motion for summary judgment, our opposition to it. And the defense attorney gets up there and he starts arguing and the judge... I guess, read my motion or just was very astute on the law because he was basically arguing all the points that we had made in our response motion. And this opposing counsel was really putting up a fight and starting to, I think, make the judge really mad. And and I was a younger attorney and I had prepared for this argument. I was ready. I think I had called Amy when I was making my four-hour trip down there just to like make her listen to my argument one more time before I had to give it. And the judge was getting really annoyed with my opposing counsel, and he was about to turn to me so I could make my argument. And my co-counsel taps me on the shoulder, and he goes, just don't say anything. <laughs> He's on our side. Just say, judge, it's all in the motion, and I, I think you pretty well got it. And I went, well, I spent all night preparing. He goes, no, 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 no. Just, he's already fighting with the other attorney. He's on our side. Just let it go. And I begrudgingly let it go. And I followed his advice. And I said, you know, Your Honor, I, I think you understand our, our points very well. And it's all in the motion. And I would just rely on our brief. And he was like, okay, great. Summary judgment denied. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. So I think that, that was a good lesson to learn. Of If your opposing counsel is fighting with the judge, just step back. Yeah, just right. let them fight it out. You don't need to go in there and piss the judge off anymore and possibly get him or her to reverse whatever their thoughts are. So that's, that's the lesson I learned there. I may or may not have told this story already. So forgive me, listeners, if you've already heard it. But we were in trial oh gosh, close to 10 years ago. And it was a very heated trial with opposing counsel that was difficult to get along with. I'm sure you felt the same way about me. Hard fought case, very high emotions, death case, minor children as our clients. And it was at the end of the day, there were objections. So we had a sidebar in my opposing counsel. I was the one making the objection. And he was irritated, obviously, because I had interrupted his examination of the witness, and we were at sidebar. I had stated my argument for the objection, and he also with sidebar, because the jury is not too far away, you oftentimes have to lean in toward the judge, who is behind the bench, but toward the judge. So you've got your court reporter right there, and everybody's kind of in a huddle. And I had finished my argument, and the opposing counsel had leaned in and poked the judge. The judge had her arms kind of crossed in front of her, trying to lean in and listen. The lawyer poked her. And I couldn't, I stepped away because I just had never seen anything like that. And he wasn't angry. Well, I mean, obviously he was heated. And it wasn't like he was yelling, obviously, because you have to whisper. But I will never forget that. And most importantly, I won't forget how the judge reacted, which was appeared to be very nonplussed. And I couldn't believe it because I thought if anybody had just randomly touched me in a heated argument, like I'm the bench, like I'm the judge. So a uh, poke, no less. A poke, no less. Not <laughs> I just mean, a, a just polite little. Don't touch the judge, but certainly. How about, how about don't not touch the judge? Yeah. How about don't, don't touch anybody? Touch the judge. Yeah. Don't touch anybody. Don't touch you need anybody. consent. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I, I believe I won the argument. Case proceeds. We get done, 
And I see the judge, gosh, probably a year or two later in a, at a social event. And I say to her, because I didn't have any cases directly in front of her at that point, if I can remember, or they were just early stages. And so I felt comfortable after so much time had gone by to say, you know, judge, I got to tell you, do you remember that? Because the way she responded to it just didn't seem like it even bothered her. And she was like, oh, yeah. And it really had impacted her. But she was so professional that she wasn't going to let the lawyer know it. And she wasn't going to let anybody else in the courtroom know it. But she told me afterwards, oh, yeah, I remember that. It was very impactful. So that's, I'd say, one of the most memorable moments on courtroom etiquette that I can think of that I won't forget. And I know we all, especially during trial, are very hyped up. But let me just give you a bit of advice. Don't poke the judge. (laughs) Literally or figuratively. Correct. (laughs) Well, I think that is a great place as any to leave off. Ladies, as always, this has been super insightful for me. I learned a lot and I hope our listeners took some things away. Thank you to our listeners for joining us for today's episode. New episodes drop every Wednesday. And if you have any thoughts or ideas for future episodes you'd like to hear, please email us at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law. Thank you so much. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and subscribe today 